Litchfield Branch Library Podcast, a conversational podcast about what we are reading. We are three library workers, and these are the conversations we have when we talk about books. On any given day, if you were to roll up a chair behind the desk, this is what you will hear. Who are we three? You're listening to Jen, Christina, and Kat. Allow us to introduce ourselves. Hi, I'm Christina. I have been working at the Richfield branch now nine years. I just had my nine-year anniversary. And for my little about me, I thought I'd quickly talk about um, the book I'm currently reading. Later, I'm going to talk about the books I just finished reading. But right now, I'm in the middle of Living in Data by Jer Thorpe, who was the innovator in residence at the Library of Congress, which, I mean, how cool is Oh, we're all it's fine. a title he made up, so oh. of course. But um, he he just lived in the library of Con- not lived lived, but I would <laughs> spent his days in the Library of Congress for a while and got to just explore it and make art around exploring the collection. So he was it was really fun to like keep up with him while he was working on the project. And but he just released a book last year. Um, this living in data. So it's it's some of his essays that I've read before um, that he's expanded on, and at, that's actually as interesting as the ones I haven't read yet because the way he's expand like thinking a few years later even of where he was and to see the kind of layers building and thought um, has been really interesting. So it's a good book. Okay, here's his first mistake. He didn't live at the Library of Congress. Oh, right. <laughs> you know, it could have been the mixed-up files of Jerf <laughs> at the Library of Congress. <laughs> because I would love to hang out there with Carla Hayden. Right. That would be my dream job. She is the head of the Library of Congress. Yes. What a, what a job. Let's move on to Kat for an introduction. Thank you. That's on my um, list to read, by the way. And you just jogged my memory that I have to do your performance review. Moving on. <laughs> so I am Kat, and I have worked at the Ridgefield Library for nine weeks. Actually, not oh. really. I think it's only been eight. It's just I really wanted to dovetail with what Christina was saying. <laughs> <laughs> and I right now have this problem where I keep putting too many books on hold. <laughs> like, I mean, Sorry. right now, I mean, in general, I have so many books that come in on hold. I can't she believe. She does. It's true. It's so sad, isn't it? It's a problem. It's terrible. I do read them, in my defense. Um, they all look good. Thank you. <laughs> Some of them are a little bit weird. Um, I just finished rereading The 10,000 Doors of January by oh. Alex Harrow, which is one of my favorite books that came out in, actually in 2019. Um, it was one of those, you sit down thinking you're going to read it and then go to sleep and have wonderful you know, dreams and finish it the next day, and then all of a sudden it's 3.30 a.m. and you're like, where am I? Who am I? Oh. What is life? <laughs> so, yes. It was, it was very good. Um, yeah, that's what I've got for today. Post-book reviews. It Ooh. was delightful. Check it out. It's at the library because I just checked it back in. <laughs> oh, my gosh, your library puns. <laughs> oh, God, it's bad. <laughs> I am Jen. I'm the branch manager here at the Richfield Library and also the teen librarian. What I have been reading, which I won't talk about today, I'll say for another time, is I am 
excitedly presenting at World IA Day at Kent State, and I do um, book reviews for one of, I guess it's a breakout session, it's virtual this year once again, um, and the theme is connecting to people, and it has to do with you know UX design and uh, information architecture and how um, we're trying to reconnect with people. So there is not a title that is, hey, UX and IA people, this is how you reconnect. So it's going to be pulling a lot of different books, um, like I'm trying to think Atlas of the Heart by uh, Brene Brown or um, This Lonely Century uh, and um, The Art of Gathering. So that's oh I'm revealing way too much about my list. You'll have to <laughs> you'll have to you'll have to go to the conference to hear more. Um, but anyway, today we present you with our absolute favorite topic, and it's in celebration of National Library Week, uh, which is the first week in April. We brought today our favorite books about libraries or or perhaps adjacent to libraries, but it's all about libraries. So without any more time taken away from our favorite subject, let's get into what did we bring to talk about public, National Public Library Week. Not public, it's this National Library Week, I stand corrected. But of course, public is one of the best. Well, it is public, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> National Library Week, it's so fascinating, because I feel like it's one of those things where we love it, but sometimes you spend so much time prepping for it that it's like you don't, like, you don't really remain present to enjoy it, so this has been really fun, <laughs> because I wrote like four single space longhand pages for this podcast, like trying to like, and it just wasn't really working. And I was like, what is wrong with me? It's been, what, seven years of like full librarianship. Where's my brain? And I was like, oh, because so much prep, not a lot of actually remembering <laughs> it. Um, and so I started thinking about libraries more philosophically. Um, and I like that I think this year the theme is, you know, connection and which is, which is really neat because you can go a lot of places with that. So I started thinking of what libraries mean and what the most fascinating aspects of it are. And I don't know about all of you, but when I was in grade school, I had this incredible grade school librarian. I'll, she lives in this area, so I will let her remain anonymous because I, I don't know if she'd be cool with me oh, revealing her name. Okay. But I loved her, and she's actually, luckily, someone who's still in my life. But she was just so smart and just so on it and just knew everything. I mean, I thought she was like... A human card catalog, I guess. Oh, yes. And she made sure that we knew our stuff. And so I was thinking about the card catalog, and several years back, the Library of Congress released this great book called The Card Catalog, Books, Cards, and Literary Treasures, which I'm currently staring at. <laughs> <laughs> and this book is neat because it traces the history of the card catalog and our human desire for organization um, and and, it's, and that sounds kind of dry, but it's actually because humans are quirky. It's very quirky. Um, and so it's, it's quite a long book, and it's very beautifully done, and it has images of different card catalogs from history. <laughs> but one of my favorite things that I did not know that came out of this is the, um, when the after the French Revolution, they started doing cataloging, and they would use playing cards because back then one side was blank, and they were all standard size. Clever. Isn't that clever? Yeah. Oh. So they had this... I guess not degree or edict because they just had a revolution and they didn't want to boss people around. But um, <laughs> like they had this um, concept, shall you say, that they sent out across France and they wanted people to 
catalog libraries. And then they had these standardized, I almost held this book up before realizing that you guys can't see me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if only you could see. They, with um, you know, the title of the book, traditionally what we would see in a card catalog, whether it's physical or digital. And I'm like, oh, that is so incredibly smart and rad. And also recycling, right? Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, it was very mm-hmm. cool. And then, of course, there's the famous story of DC being burned and them losing the original Library of Congress, and oh. and like everyone feeling very badly about it. That hurt. And even, yeah, and even oh, the that... general who burnt it was like, "I would have saved the books had I known they were there." Oh, gosh, we're... <laughs> okay. I'm like, "Yeah, why'd you burn them? I need to steal them." Not that I'm advocating for that, but I feel like <laughs> you're. <laughs> Anyways, so of course, the famous story of Jefferson, who was in debt at the time, selling his library um, of books to to Congress and all that, and beginning what is now our traditional Library of Congress. Um, so at any rate, it's just totally fascinating, and it really took me back to being an overachieving second grader and loving my librarian. And I remember her like taking us to the card catalog, which was just this beautiful piece of woodwork. Oh, yeah. And you would pull out the drawer, and there were all of these, they weren't index cards. They were more than index cards with all these you know neatly typed names on them. And I remember thinking in like one of those weird grown-up brain moments, so many books. I want them all. How do I read them all? And having like a little mini like anxiety identity crisis. Um, so it was fun to look through this card catalog because they pull out some of their, I guess, most beloved or well-known or some obscure titles. Like um, their eyes were watching God. They have a photograph in here of the first edition of the book in the card catalog. Um, Emily Dickinson's first publication, Sleepy Hollow. And it's just, it was just really fun because it was a little walk down memory lane of the evolution of the card catalog and my utter fear of being thought to be a complete idiot by a librarian I admired when I was very small. Do you remember <laughs> how they smelled? Oh, yes. yes. There was a, a certain mm-hmm. smell to them. And then show of hands, who wants a, libra- a card catalog in their house? Yes. yes. You have. I have one. You have one? <laughs> oh, you are a beautiful yeah. soul. Yes. I set you up for that one because, oh, I want one so bad. Oh, my gosh. Can we put that on our Instagram? Yeah, it's, it's a gorgeous, dark, it's nicer than the... <laughs> they are, it's so beautiful. I <laughs> can't even believe it. Yeah. Okay, wedding not present. to rub. It was a wedding present from my mama. Oh, my God. So. Happy early Mother's Day to your mother. I mean... Thank you. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. Any others you have? Oh, yeah. Okay, so... In conjunction with that, I suppose, I started thinking about what libraries symbolize and mean. And when you're in them, you know, you get very caught up in, I suppose, the day-to-day things. And and those things are incredibly important. But the neat thing about libraries is in popular culture, they're like these mystical, magical places, right? And they're used so much in film and in literature and what have you. And so I was a big shameless fan of Noah Wiley's librarian films, and I aspire to be Cassandra from the television series. Um, you know, someday I want Noah Wiley to waltz in here and say, we're going to pull this book out of the wall. Welcome to this mystical wonderland. You are not going to go on a grand adventure and save the world. You know, it's good to have aspirations in life. Um, but going on from that, I started thinking we're about... We're only five square miles, so... Yeah, no, I'm joking. Go ahead. <laughs> we're rural. So sad. <laughs> but how libraries are used in... Um, in literature and like what kind of feeling that evokes when you're reading. And so like Aaron Morgenstern wrote The Starless Sea, which is, I don't want to ruin the plot because the plot's kind of intricate, but about stories and how they're stored and what they mean I and mean, who gets to control them. And the, 
the um, concept of not so much like an archive or a library, but the conceptual idea of a library and a repository of human experience and its uniqueness. Um, and then one of my favorite parts of the book version of the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society, say that five times fast, <laughs> um, it's by Mary Ann Schaefer and Annie Barrows. And there's a wonderful letter in it where Juliet, the main character, needs a character recommendation to go to Guernsey and interview people. So she has one person who likes her write her letter, and then she has someone who doesn't like her write a letter. And the woman who doesn't like her was a fire warden with her during the Blitz. And I guess that they bombed the British Library, or a library across the street, and Juliet just lost her head and went running across the street, apparently to, it's a very sarcastic letter that this woman writes, what saved the book single-handedly, which of course meant that the firemen had to, you know, drag her out and stuff. And I just thought, oh, what a beautiful testament to <laughs> what, what libraries, not the books, you know, and, you know, running across the street. And I, it's not really levity um, in the face of something very tragic, but I just thought, like, there is a lot of, you know, low-grade humor in how that letter is written, but just the, the concept of that and um, what that represents to us and, you know. That was that was quite hysterical. Yeah, I think we're all sitting here going, "Why well, would have ran in to the fire? Yes. Like what? Yeah. Like why would you just sit there and watch it?" <laughs> yeah, I like so. the part that she was like on top of the roof of the building across the street. So I love this image of like Juliet like shimmying down the fire escape or like madly running down all these floors in the darkness, like burst through the front door and like, oh, I'll save you all. Oh, you know, it's gosh, like I do like the film adaptation of Guernsey, but I really wish that they had done like a. A faithful to the book because man that would have been that would have been funny an epic um, and very relatable yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. to a certain population of librarians yes yes well thank you Christina you want to go or yes so I um finally read Mirakami <laughs> it's funny because I um just always assumed that I'd be really into his work and but just hadn't gotten to it yet I'm like oh I'll get to it and um whew, I don't think I don't think I'm a Mirakami girl I don't oh. think I can handle <gasps> you were talking about this it, it, like the closest I can think is like vertigo or like motion sickness like it gave me like a visceral sick feeling what what <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, Did not it's see like that coming. The mo- it's the most peculiar. And like the whole time, I'm like, I am making too much of this. So, so the first one I read was um, Hard Boiled Wonderland and the End of the World. And I'll start with what I liked about it. I did like that it was very strange and unpredictable. Like you, you can't fathom where it's going. Oh. Like, I, I mean, I guess you can. It's not like so unusual, but I mean, it definitely, it, it's not one of these books where you're like, oh, I see where he's going. You're like, I think I see where he's going, but you don't know where he's going. <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> um, there's two stories woven together. So Hard Boiled Wonderland is the one half of the story and End of the World is the other half. And there's, each chapter has like a little, um, it looks like a slide, like an old, well, kind of like a notebook paper. I don't know. It's it's got like symbols at the beginning to let you know if it's hard boiled wonderland or if it's oh. end of the world, and it's kind of it's dealing with like consciousness and like your subconscious and like dream land. So like that's another thing is I I started listening to it on audiobook because I I and I've talked about this before, but I like to get things done, 
So <laughs> it's been really good. It's been really good for me. I don't know if that's a compliment to the book. I like to get things done. So I, well, I feel I, I tend to, I'm a very slow, careful reader and mm-hmm. I get bogged Same. down. And so honestly, to keep up with this podcast, I've been like, I got to pick up the pace. <laughs> so I started listening to audiobooks and it's been really nice on the one hand, because it kind of, it feels like the pacing of like when I was a kid, you know, I read a lot more as a kid, but anyway, some books just really can't, some books don't translate to audio well. And this, this definitely felt like interesting, very different hearing someone read it to you than when you're reading it. I almost feel like because he's dealing with like this interior perspective that like, I could easily and more easily internalize the narrative when I was reading it, and that was way more comfortable than listening to it. The guy just sounded like awful. Like when I listened to it, it sounded like a man talking. Whereas I'm reading it, I'm you know identifying more with the character and not externalizing. Mm -hmm. So I did. I was listening to. I'm like, this guy is such a misogynist. Like. He's just like so dismissive of all the female characters. Like I was getting so worked up. <laughs> and then when I read it, when I'm holding the book and reading it, I, it, I got way less of that. So it's interesting because, again, then you like listen to the recorded version and it's not, there's nothing in the narrator's voice or anything. I honestly think it's really just the, you know, one step removed having someone read it to you then internalizing it and because it's talking about like dream worlds and subconscious it it really needs to be internalized um but yeah I don't know then I also really liked the ending he did a great he really nailed the ending it was really a fantastic ending but um you sound like you're at the olympics she nailed that ending I (laughs) he nailed that landing he really stuck the landing he stuck the landing um but yeah, I just, it, the whole thing had this, like, oppressively, like, you know, they're going down in basements and, like, in caves and, like, underground, and it just had this, like, it just felt like you're on this train and you, you know, you're on this track and you just can't get off. It just, I hate that, like, inevitable kind of hopeless feeling. Oh, yeah. There was a lot of that. Um, so, but he, he, he's dating a librarian in it. <laughs> Oh, that's your library. That's your your (laughs) tie-in. So next, I read the Strange Library. So he does a lot with libraries and librarians, and so I think that was another thing. Was just like he didn't need the woman until he needed information, and then he's like pops into the library and like, oh, let me pick up a book and a girl. Like, (laughs) get out of here! I was so (laughs) mad. But he's better at the end. <laughs> That's a marketing campaign I don't see. <laughs> it's like, what on earth? <laughs> Pick up a book and a girl. Just like, why don't you maybe <laughs> do some of your own work, buddy? <laughs> it was really, I don't know. I was so mad at him. <laughs> but also afraid for him the whole time. It was awful. <laughs> Do things to yourself, but I'm afraid for you. Like everybody was a person. I'm like, no, no, no. I don't want him to die, but I also, you know, would like him to not be a jerk. (laughs) I would like him to be a living jerk. Um, (laughs) 
so then the strange library so hard-boiled wonderland is the first of his of murakami's books that was translated into english and that was, he wrote it in like 85 and i think this is like 91 that it gets translated so that's a factor too um whereas this the strange library is from 2014 so i was kind of hoping <laughs> it would be better it is clever looking it's uh describe <laughs> so it's it's a weird it's like 97 pages i think they said and it was um it's fully illustrated by the graphic designer chip kid who did a lot of book covers for um penguin random house oh yeah and oh is, yeah it's just like a huge i mean it feels like a time capsule of like 2007 to 2014 to me and i don't care for it You really <laughs> built us up, and then you're like, and I, I wish it I would die. I can't figure out what about this drives me so crazy. It's so cool looking because you had to flip, you had to flip open the book. You open it like a invitation, and it says like on the spine for internal use only, and it's got all of these like close up fragmented images that he's collected from a used bookstore in Tokyo. Okay, okay. Oh. Um, but they're all just extremely close up and cropped. It feels like bad collage art. To yeah. Me. It, doesn't, what is the it doesn't feel like it adds something. It doesn't feel like it's collaborating with the text. It just okay. feels, to me, it just kept, it was like distracting and like would stop me. Okay. It oh, just, interesting. It, because I was just thinking, I, um, recently read that Ain't Burned All the Bright. It's a collaboration between uh, Jason Reynolds and Jason Griffin. And I'm, because I'm, I, I have to admit, I'm a little bit biased probably against books with a lot of visuals because it, it usually has a little bit of an afterthought quality or like everyone's so amused with the idea that, oh my God, we put visuals with an adult book and like, okay, like that, that doesn't impress me. You're going to have to work a little harder than that. <laughs> like, okay, what does this say about the text? What is this adding to the text? Why was it necessary for you mm -hmm. to do? I agree, I agree. It, it feels a little like often it can just be a gimmick. Um, but Ain't Burned All the Bright is a great example of not a gimmick. Like, the words and the pictures perfectly go together. If you pulled them apart, they would not make mm. the same sense. It's like the emotional impact. It's necessary for them to be together. This does not. Oh, interesting. This does not feel this way. And we should put that other one on display too with that. Yes. For our display. Yeah. So much. So also, like, the text is like giant. I was thinking. It's a typewriter like, text. I think Looks I like might somebody prefer if the whole thing was scaled down like to 75%. Okay. Okay. So then oh, it don't. felt like, oh, you were finding a little, you know, like, oh, it was actually bound ephemera. It feels like. Yeah, a small book that they blew up to book size, and now it doesn't make sense. It printed incorrectly, and then they had already spent so many on the game. Oh, jeez. Well, or, <laughs> right, or it's just, oh, it's 2014. They're like, it just seems it's like... It's going to print. They're so excited that they put some images in there, and it just is not... It doesn't correlate. Doesn't and I relate. wonder, like, you know, is that more common now? That is why I'm not impressed with it? Like, would I be more impressed with that in 2014? <sighs> and the other thing I will say is, I... Um, started reading reviews because again I'm like you know I, I googled like, misogyny and Mirakami like there has to be papers on <laughs> like I can't be the first person that felt like what 
this feels so like uncomfortable and I couldn't find anything everything was oh. very glowing <gasps> I would have sent it to you there is a lit hub article where they interviewed about it oh okay so I did I did oh. find the New York Times article of the strange library and they were extremely flattering to ship kid which is not a surprise <laughs> um, <laughs> is that going to go in your bag they mention they mention there, there there was a japanese edition first um and the artist for that one is uh maki sasaki which is a manga artist oh. and it, they kind of reminded me of like tommy di paola um like kids kids book illustrations from when i was a kid okay neat so it like immediately I was like oh my gosh that's such a different tone if I had read it with those illustrations I think it would have had the levity that it needs because it would have come off as like whimsical and metaphorical instead oh. of a guy who is trapped in a library <laughs> and creepy did he have a say in who was going to do the illustrations or was it the publisher the say? I don't know well because the chip kid does a lot of his covers in oh. the U.S. So they did have a quote from Mirakami that's like, you know, oh, I like that it's, you know, every page is a surprise. <gasps> but I, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, is that good it's or good. bad? <laughs> but there, there, so there was a Japanese version that looked really interesting. There was a German version that had sort of um, the artist's cat Menschik, and it had like a, you know, that Keanu Reeves movie, A Scanner Darkly, where they like, filmed the whole thing and then slide by slide like illustrated it and it has like this weird kind of you can't tell if it's cartoon or if it's a picture look oh. it kind of has that the German one looks kind of like that kind of dark and I don't think it would be for me <laughs> but that's a version and then there's a um in English the British version um Suzanne Dean and that looks like this card catalog book it looks like library oh up. that looks fun so I think I really I think the Japanese version or the British version would have been my preference instead of this, you know, smug <laughs> graphic harsh. design 2010 <laughs> festival of oh, oh, graphic design. I took pictures of real objects. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so impressive. We're all really impressed. <laughs> if I ever write a book, it's going to be under pseudonym. I will be terrified of what Christina will say about it. <laughs> Smug. Smug. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I just, I don't know. You're so, going to go to the library, get a book and a babe and some smugness. <laughs> I actually, after Hard Boiled Wonderland, I reread Alice. Because I was like, I'm not sure I like Wonderland anymore. I think it might have ruined Alice for me. But it doesn't, the thing is, it has, it has elements of that I understand why people are like oh it's Alice in Wonderland for adults mm, no. no it's I mean it's definitely they're going on adventures and you don't know where it's gonna go and there's like that weird like symbolic logic mm. of a dream where you know weird objects stick out and stuff but that oppressive to that tone there's just like a feeling in the room you know when you walk in a room and something feels off and yeah. you just want to leave that was how these <laughs> books felt that's how it felt and I really, I gave it, I gave it a, a beat between the, the first book and the second. I was like, give yourself some time, because sometimes, you know, your mood changes, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm, I, I really mm -hmm. thought, like, oh, next week maybe I'll be ready. Nope. 
exact exact same feeling so consistent it was just like I have an allergy to this like it's not working for me it's not good I I guess this is an interesting discussion like you can you're allowed to have a a reaction to a book it it doesn't always have to be pleasantries and yeah you I mean think about it how many times have we had like this morning I threw down a book and I'm like oh right (laughs) this is terrible this is terrible it's like I got it yesterday it's going back today I like I couldn't couldn't do it right and I mean and that is true like about libraries it's not an adventure if there's not the risk of oh true it being yes so we have heartache and disappointment here too category like you could be like I love and would eat on a daily basis all these books. I am allergic <laughs> to these. <laughs> Deathly allergic. The snark will be. Up. Yes. <laughs> this is like, no. I cannot even be near these books without all of these words that mean mean things popping into my mind. <laughs> like, I've, has it been a minute since you fought a beast of a book? <laughs> Here are some beasts. Yes. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so now I have, you know, instead of vague ideas of like, oh, one of these days I'll read Mirakami and I'll probably be so into it. And now I'm like, well, scratch you gave, that itch. You gave, it a, you gave it a go. Next. Yeah. Thank you, next. <laughs> okay, yeah. On that note, um, I am bringing today a book called Between the Lines, Stories from the Underground. It's by Yuli Buter-Cohen. She is the creator of the Subway Book Review. Um, And I would look for her on Instagram under this Subway Book Review because the images are are simple and beautiful. So it's a play on words, Between the Lines. Um, She, it's about the um, underground, and the underground is the New York city subway system. So what she does is nearly a decade ago, Yuli ran an experiment. She was a regular on the B train and she realized that the subway is one of the few places that people in New York have to stop their rushing and they have to stand still and they have to sit next to each other and there's nothing, you know, the world is out of their control. There's nothing that they can do. So what do they do to occupy themselves? Well, she noticed a lot of them read. So I thought that was super cool. And she is a documentation artist. And she saw an opportunity to document what people were reading. And she interviewed them. And she wanted to find out what they were reading, why they were reading it, um, sort of their reactions to the, to the books that they were reading. And so this book is a selection of 170 interviews from over the years. And like I said, what is cool is is that this project is still going on today. COVID did not stop it. And uh, you can follow her and her latest interviewees on Instagram. And they're just very simple. Um, You know, she takes a picture of them holding the book. She tells you what book they're reading and then she has like a very maybe a paragraph up to three paragraphs of them describing their book and it's awesome yeah it's just I'm like so clever and what I loved about this book 
is it's a recommendation on wheels and it's the people picking out books and if you were sitting there like imagine being in the subway car it, isn't that interesting to see like what people are reading and yeah. you know I just thought like ah, that's serendipitous discovery and um, you don't even have to talk to somebody you could just be like wonder what they're reading <laughs> and like I said it's a it's this library on wheels and the people are the librarians recommending books to other people though they don't even know it so and you know, people notice other people, and people notice what people are reading. And you, I myself, I got a fresh shelf of ideas. Um, Save me the plums. When we watched Power of Strangers, play it how it lays. Tell me how it ends. Uh, Just Kids, which is about Patty Smith in New York City. Um, let's see, Little Life, A Good Cry, and Memories of the Future. And, but the only, I will say the only negative, and it, it got picked up on the reviews too, is that everyone in this book is so well-read. <laughs> everyone is reading, like no one's reading a Patterson, no one's reading a Daniel Steele, no one's reading The Librarian and the Lawman, <laughs> right? <laughs> or the paralegal and her prince. You know, no one... <laughs> No one's reading a bodice ripper on this train. Everyone is just reading these really deep, thoughtful content. And, and I give them credit because, okay, you're stuck on this train and you can, you can pull yourself into such a book. You don't need a surface, a surface, I call a surface book, like a no-thought book. You are pulling yourself into some pretty heavy and hefty literature. And still getting off at the right stop. It's still, yeah, I would be like, and Coney Island. <laughs> You've reached the end of the internet. Um, yeah, and, I, and I, while I was reading this, what I loved about it is I felt like I got to know all these people, even though it was one picture and one interview, and I got to know them through their books, and I feel strangely connected to them because they love books and I love books, and and I'm a book person, and they're book people. And even though we will never meet, I feel like I know, I know 170 people in New York, and I love them all, and because they're readers, and I'll never meet you. But I think it's so just so cool. I just think it's so cool. So I want to um, knight and crown her as an honorary librarian for taking this up. Um, <laughs> you are a champion of the book. You are a champion of reading. Um, I thank you for celebrating, you know, the emotions and, and the actions and not the smugness or the knee-jerk reactions <laughs> so, no, the, uh, that some people have, but uh, just the effect of reading and the fact that people were getting lost in these books and it was opening up minds and I just, I, I honor you as a, in an honorary degree of librarianship. If I so have such power, I knight thee. <laughs> So, um, but in a more serious tone, there's a book that I have been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for. It's on order through our system. It is called Bold Minds for Library Leadership in a Time of Disruption, and it's by Leo Appleton, and the publication is 2020. Um, you know, when I first read this, I'm like, oh, he's talking about the COVID disruption and library leadership through a COVID disru disruption. But... This is before a COVID, the COVID disruption, so I'm like, what is the disruption then? Like, what what was going on pre 
pre-pandemic, I mean, pre-COVID, pre-George Floyd, pre-all of that, what, and I think it was just, you know, economic, um, technological, and just general cultural change, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I think you can't change a book once it's in publication or print, but I'm wondering if he had the opportunity to add a chapter, like, what would you say now, after so much, after shutdowns, and so so much change, but I'm still looking forward to to reading it because he he brought together um, international librarians, which I was looking forward to that angle, and um, and these are people who carry the responsibility of of their libraries, and um, he talks about how they're interested in um, creating future models of how librarians and library libraries uh, need to be in the future. So I'm always curious about okay, what are the I love when people predict futureness of libraries because I'm like, ah, I'm curious to see how disruptive, how different you think it's going to be. Mm-hmm. So, because I'm always, I hate to say it, I'm always a little disappointed. Like, that's as far you could have stretched. I could think of a, <laughs> please think, please stretch yourself. There's going to be more computers and stop, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I am surprised. It feels like the pandemic just caught us up to where the projections were now. Yes. Were. It felt like people were really resisting resisting it. And then the pandemic was like, all right, fine, I guess we'll have an event online. Yeah, yes. <laughs> it was yeah, like, yeah. Finally our arm. We'll have. <laughs> like, you'll be able to go to meetings virtually. And like, no. 2019, no. <laughs> 2021, we're yeah. here. Now what? Yeah. Now what? So it is like, yeah, it was the disruption computers. Catalyst disruption, right? The catalyst disruption that made all the other disruptions have space to really erupt. Because it's like we had all these conversations, right? But we were also busy sprinting that we weren't able to always engage those conversations. So it is really neat that he did international because our disruptions are frequently community specific or specific to whatever country we're living in or even town specific. So it'd be quite fascinating to see what disruptions those librarians highlight. Because, pre- yeah, yeah. Like a disruption can be as simple as you need to renovate your space, but yet you're the only space in the community that your community has to go to. So how do you innovate with that? Or like a, a big disruption, like a natural disaster, or I suppose you could call COVID a natural disaster. But yeah, it'd be quite fascinating. Well, that's to your point, because um, you're, you're talking about this, you know, internationally where people are in using their space because he talks about academic and public and I think he has a business library in here and a couple of books that I have read about you know the future of libraries is we will have more space for the kids to study together I'm like that's a 10 million dollar renovation we will have maker labs that's a 10 million dollar I'm sorry can we think, can we, again, can we stretch? I, and, I, and, you know, Shema, I don't know what that looks like. I have ideas, but. But also don't get rid of the books. I don't know how many oh, times yes. we can go back over. Don't get rid of the books. Nobody wants that. Well, right. Learn from the card catalog. We got rid of our card catalogs, oh, right? Yes. And everyone is like eBaying them. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> learn from this. Yeah. <laughs> Keep the aesthetic value of your books. I agree. Yeah. I agree. But sometimes I wonder if people talk about those very obvious things, like we're going to need more study space because they don't really, because we don't know how, I should say we because we're librarians. Um, how do you articulate to the world at large what libraries are when everyone has 
a sort of pop culture perspective, I suppose, on what libraries are. Um, that when people, when you say library, people do instantly think of books, which is very important, but it's really information and knowledge and how are those things, um, how are those things housed? And um, what do we mean to different people and why do different people come in here? But when we do talking points about libraries, we do frequently focus on things like, oh, kids will have more space to study. We need $10 million. And it's like, yeah. but we did all these other really cool things with that $10 million, but we don't know how to broadcast and make people accept that, hey, libraries can be about different things. We can, or like, even like this super cool podcast, which is the first one I've done, it's like, this is another way of doing reader's advisory, but also about getting people to realize, hey, come in and chat with us. Like, we mm -hmm. love to talk about this. This is what we do. So it's a really, it is a very complex conversation about our persona. And then libraries are so different, right? Community, towns, systems, local libraries, we're all so different. And it's like, do we really have a common, what would you say, a common face? We really, we do, but we don't. No, it's a very diverse profession. I, I guess what I'm looking for is I want someone to say, this is the future without mission creep. Mm. And this is the future without vocational awe. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's what I. That's what I want someone to say. Like, um, people, Christina and I, we have these conversations, and and being new, you're hearing them too, and you're part of the discussion too. Like, we have fantastic branding people, and I, and I know books sound old, but we do that very well. There's you know, there's a brand out there that does athletic shoes very well. There's two brands out there that do soft drinks very well. Why is that bad? Right, yeah, I hate that we always have, like, it feels like we have a little bit more of an identity crisis than... We do books Every, well. Everybody knows who we are except yeah. for us. Yeah, can, and so can we do that well? Yeah, and I mean, I, and I don't think, I don't think it's bad to be books. Yeah. And not even, like, physical books. Not right, even right. e-books. There's nothing wrong. I mean, e-books are, yeah, on the rise, and there's certainly a time and place, and that's wonderful, and physical books. It's physical books still, I don't know. My 16-year-old. We're, we're so bored of it, and it's like, no one else is. Everyone no. else wants that from us. We can be that still. My 16-year-old, who's an avid reader, says, "Do not, I do not want the e-book. I love to hold a book. She's 16. And, and we keep hearing this message, well, the Gen Zs of the world are used to everything being digital. She's like, I'm sick of digital. I'm not, my whole life is digital. Yeah. I love holding a book. Yeah. I love it. All right. But the funny thing about that, I just realized when you said that is, is it the, it's not really truly digital, is it? Because something physical has to house it. So even when you have an ebook, you have to hold it. I mean, we're not at the point yet, right? We're like, there's a screen I, oh. dangling. And it's like, it's just really, it's, it's conceptually, it's interesting. Like this, yeah, like we are about books. Yeah. And to an extent. Like it's like, okay. That's it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, maybe broaden the, the idea of what, it's weird because we hold Vinyl books. is cool. Yeah. You vinyl. talked about vinyl this morning. I'm like, vinyl is cool. Books, paper are cool. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also weird, right? Because we hold books in such awe. Like, we, it's like when, like when we have book sales, right? We don't want to throw anything away or recycle because oh. it's a book. But yet we also sort of downplay it. Like, oh, libraries can't just be about books. It's like, well, why not? You refuse to get rid of any of them, like even from your own home, right? You know, like yes. we kind of come up with like... Let's make a display. These could circle like these beloved objects. So that's like, why not? Yeah, like, and that's who we are. We yeah. are the book people. We are book people. Come see us. Inhale the, okay, inhale the pages of a new book. Maybe dust off it if it's classic. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. that's, 
Yeah, it's. I guess it's um, like the chemical compound in the glue that makes the old glue that makes it smell like vanilla. Mm. Oh, it's the same chemical as vanilla. That's why it smells like vanilla. Isn't that cool? Bring back the old. Well, okay. Don't sniff glue. <laughs> <laughs> old sniff old glue at your book library. Glue. <laughs> old book glue. Actually, just go get a candle that's labeled "This smells like books." Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, like for a safety disclaimer, there are book, there are candles out there. There have to be candles out there. There are. I I have them on um, Pinterest. Oh. Yeah, they're on our oh, Pinterest page. Is Pinterest? I don't know. I haven't checked out my. It's on the Richfield Branch Pinterest under. Um, book candles. No, like giftable, or something about books as gifts and art, or not gifts, G-I-F-F, but gifts as in presents. <laughs> so uh, just real quick like some of the chapters that I'm looking forward to reading in this book sh- when we ever get it because it's still in order um, first chapter I'm looking forward to is painting books on the walls why libraries have lost their way and how they can di- rediscover their real purpose in a fragmented world a mouthful but yes I'm curious to see what he wrote about that and let's see, 21st Century People's Library. I'm curious to know what that chapter is about. And then the, in section four, he talks about the data brarian, preparing information specialists in an open datafied field society. <laughs> I'm like, are we there yet? Because the latest conversations that I've seen is we need social worker librarians. But, but, I, but here I am, I, I, want, a, I want a future perspective so I'm going to honor that data barian does sound very futuristic it sounds like something on the Jetsons <laughs> but um, yeah and then he talks about what digital skills do library staff need in the changing world so I'm curious to know what he writes about that so hopefully um, hopefully we'll get that book soon so this is all coming from a I have not read it but I'm hoping to so you'll see it on the shelf when it ever comes <laughs> Yeah, I want to hear about it when it comes because for for li- libraries, right? It's your wealth of knowledge, and you come because librarians know how to how to find the knowledge. And then now we have Google, and Google can be great, but it shows you the most popular hit, or it's adjusting to your personal algorithm. Mm-hmm. And so it does make you wonder in the in the coming years whether it's because we're so accelerated now, the next five, ten, twenty years librarianship how is that going to expand because we have so much information out there but it just keeps piling oh on. yeah and so you need people who can sort and categorize it properly because it's just so unru- unwieldy and unruly as it is and so it is a, a quite an interesting thing about the profession of and maybe google already does this i should google it so i need to stop with the wordplay i have pod fright that's where it comes from um anyways um it's like are they going to start hiring librarians right to start categorizing ironically in the same way that we used to with card catalogs of like making things more ordered or making sure people are getting accurate information but i don't know i guess that i I wouldn't be surprised if they're not already hiring librarians yeah isn't microsoft i thought microsoft hires anyway i'll have to look into that they probably do I'm behind the times right now. Hmm. They, they have to in their secret labs. <laughs> like imagining like all the minions from this book will meet just like down there like, we're hoping, we're hoping guys. Yeah. yeah. But that book does circle back really well to like connecting because the common denominator is always where is knowledge housed regardless of whether it's 
digital or physical, though I, I personally prefer physical because I think a book is kind of like an art form. Like when you're reading it, the cover they chose, the text, the font, the margin size, I think does impact how you ingest the material as Christina just proved with her Murakami <laughs> review. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> so but it all comes out to the connection, right? Because books, uh, books are how we learn about ourselves, about whatever we're choosing to research or what have you. And it is, that's the common thing with libraries, right? Is you're connecting on all these different levels. Mm -hmm. And that's how we hopefully progress as, oh, this is like a library PSA. <laughs> Come join us. Be part of our spaceship team. Come sort with us. Come sort with us. Oh, patriotic music is queuing up right now. Yes. <laughs> we should use like, you know, they, they like typewriter music, you'd be like card catalog music. You just like open and shut the doors. Da dun da dun da dun. That was all the drawers. And then the shuffling like of the cards. The Harry Potter theme. Oh, yes. Hedwig soaring through the sky. Like, what's the librarian? <laughs> librarian and the library anthem <laughs> <Because> the <laughs> Harry Potter theme song <laughs> on that note John before Williams. we close <laughs> before we close Kat I'm going to do a shout out to your April 6th book discussion which is appropriate for mm -hmm. you know national library I want to say public library because that's the only one that I know I we love we love all I love all um and the reason why I say this we love all is your book for April 6th is Reading Behind Bars, A True Story of Literature, Law, and Life as a Prison Librarian. Um, so a big shout out to those that do such such fantastic work here. And if you want to read another one, there's a one called Running the Books, um, Adventures of an Accidental Prison Librarian by Avi Steinberg. Um, so again, a side of our profession that never gets enough recognition. So to all those librarians, amazing work. Mm -hmm. We had an amazing librarian down at Maine, Simone, who did a lot of work. So yeah. Simone, if you're listening, you were amazing. You still are, but you did amazing work. Yeah. On that note, Christina, do you want to take us home? Absolutely. The Richfield Branch Library is a branch of the Akron-Summit County Public Library. Our theme music is Examples by Katza and is made available to us through a Creative Commons license on the Free Music Archive. Thanks for joining us.